Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of BizBooks. My name is Gene Marks, and this is my chance to talk to some of my favorite authors that write some great business books that I read from cover to cover, um, and I have lots of questions for, and we can learn a lot about not only the author, but also the concepts that are contained in the book. And today, my special guest is Sherry Walling. Sherry, first of all, hello, and thanks for joining us. Hello, good to be with you. I am glad that you are here. We are talking about your book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, How to Run Your Business Without Letting It Run You, right? Um, Sherry's website is sherrywalling.com, S-H-E-R-R-Y-W-A-L-L-I-N-G.com, although you guys will be seeing this throughout uh, the course of our interview. So first of all, again, thanks so much for joining me, Sherry. I'm glad that you're here. Um, and, and let's get started. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to write this book, which is now a few years old, actually. Um, it is. It's been out for a bit. Tell me the history. Yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training right. and have done most of my work uh, with folks who have high intensity jobs. So my background is uh, as a trauma specialist, usually with people who experience trauma in the context of their work. So mm. first responders, people in the military, um, people who you know deploy to war zones for their living. Right. Um so I came to my business interests with that background, and then I'm married to an entrepreneur in the technology space. And so I had entrepreneurs in my living room from, you know, the time I was 20, really on until, until now, and recognized a lot of mental health and focus-related challenges in the entrepreneurs that I was working with that sort of mapped on to some of the uh, clinical cases that I had. So that became my focus and my interest is how do we keep entrepreneurs healthy and well and really connected to themselves, connected to other people. And the book is my attempt to summarize what I've learned about those questions. I'm glad to hear that. You know, first of all, it makes me laugh because um, my company, like we sell CRM software. I'm a, by the way, if you haven't figured out from this looking at me, I'm a CPA, um, but we also sell CRM software for, you know, sales and marketing teams as well. And so we have about 600 uh, clients and they are all small businesses themselves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everybody's nuts. Everybody is. You know, I mean, they're lunatics when you run a small business. And I always say that for the my employees and the people that work for me, um, particularly when I bring somebody on new, I'm always like, just remember we're dealing with small business owners and we all have, you know, some level of insanity, you know, about that. Um, which is, you know, which I guess is not uncommon. The other comment that I have to make, and and before we get into your book, is um I I've written before in the past, Sherry, and I, I am interested in hearing your your comments on. Um, I think it's really important for somebody running a small business um, to see a therapist, to, to see somebody, um, if you don't have a mentor in your life or, or a really good open listening spouse, spouse I have had um, a number of clients that see their own psychologists um, because a psychologist is like somebody that's, if they're trained to listen, they don't come with their own agenda. You know, they're not trying to persuade or convince you of anything, but there are so many pressures that you have when you run a business between balancing your life and your work, um, you know, that I, I think paying a professional to hear you out is really important. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Oh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's one of one of my go-to points in working with entrepreneurs and small business owners is the sense that as the leader, you are in it alone, right? Even if you have a wonderful supportive spouse, even if you have a great business partner, um, often you are carrying the weight and the responsibility of growing and keeping a business healthy. And that takes a lot of you. It takes your ability to be communicative, to relate well to others, to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And it also takes a lot of self-reflection, I think, to be a strong leader. And I think going to therapy, having a coach, having somebody who can help you cultivate your capacity for self-reflection and for growth and maturity is a really great investment, not only for an individual human, but also for the business that's directly impacted by their well-being. Agreed. All right. So tell me about this guy, Rob. He, he, he seems to appear a lot in your book. <laughs> Rob is my husband ah. of, um, oh gosh, maybe almost 22 years. Yeah. 22 years in May. Crazy. And he has, uh, and, and, and why, why does he feature so much in this book? Well, he's the second author of the book, which yeah. is worth noting. Right. Um, but Rob started, um, a tech company. I mean, he's started and sold multiple companies. And so he is kind of my, uh, my primary case study for entrepreneur mental health, because he, I li- he lives in the laboratory in which I work. Um, but we, this book came out of a podcast that we started together called Zen founder. Right. And um, on the podcast, we started talking about me from the mental health perspective and him from really the more business or entrepreneurial perspective. What kinds of strategies and tactics would be helpful to keeping entrepreneurs well during the context of running their business? So in a way, he's the he's the boots on the ground subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wrote the book really with both perspectives in mind. Is this what connected you to, you referred to the the founder origin stories project? The podcast was the original place for the founder origin stories project. So I basically every summer would select a few different entrepreneurs to have a deep dive conversation about their early life experience and what shaped them along their journey of becoming entrepreneurs. And so would release those episodes during the summer as kind of like the, the summer series or the summer project. Um, and that really was really interesting material that a lot of which is included in the book in terms of thinking about the early lives of entrepreneurs. That's great. Um, all right. In the book, you talk um, about some entrepreneur types and um, you mentioned four and I, I just wanted to get you to your, your take on them now and I'll prompt you, you know, with what they are, but they, um, it just makes me laugh because I, you know, I, I, th- I always thought there were more than just four, but you summed them up really well. There's the golden child, there's the loner, there's the pleaser, and there's the survivor. So can you walk us through like what you mean by each of these types? Like, what do you mean by an entrepreneur who's the golden child? Yes. And I should, the scientist in me wants to say, these are, this is observational data. This is not like a tried and true personality test um, that's been extensively evaluated and assessed. But these are, these are my observations of the archetypes, if you will, of the types of entrepreneurs that I've interacted with. So the golden child is um, 
somebody who kind of has come up in the world as someone who's had a lot of maybe opportunity, support, maybe this is that really bright kid who came through school and had teachers saying, oh my goodness, you're really good at math. You're really good at science. You should go into STEM. Let's help you get to coding school. So by the time they're 16, 17, 18, they're they're really well established in some of the skills that they might need to be successful Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. So they've kind of been on the track and they've had a lot of support. And in a way, this is like what all of us kind of want for our kids, right? (laughs) That we are equipping them in the things that they're interested in to be successful. Okay. How about the loner? The loner is, um, you know, the person who in some ways kind of lives in their own mind, right? Has wonderful ideas, is creating, is scheming, is dreaming, is maybe writing or making archetypes of a product in their basement, but is doing that um, sometimes, you know, with a lot of autonomy and loneliness, is really um, committed to the world that they're creating in their own mind. Okay, fair enough. There's the pleaser and the survivor. Yeah. So the pleaser is the person who is just impressive, just is, is creating, you know, skills and ideas and is showing up in the world saying, Hey, look at what I made and is doing it in a way that makes, um, makes people really happy. They're really good at understanding what people need and being able to deliver that. Okay. And then of course the survivor. The survivor is the one who is looking for the meal ticket out of town. So this is the person who has come up in maybe a pretty rough environment or a place in which there wasn't a lot of nurture. And they are, this is the, in some ways, the scrappy hustler who is creating the skills and the work ethic to create something for themselves that will provide security and will provide a a safe place to land for them and for their families. So why does this matter to an entrepreneur, Sherry? I mean, your book is, you know, you're the guide to keeping your shit together, you know? So why is this important for us to recognize this? So each of those archetypes and really any kind of personality style that you might talk about uh, with people, whether it's the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or any of those things, they each carry within them a set of strengths and they each carry within them a set of weaknesses or a shadow side. And so if you have been the golden child, for example, and you've come up through the world with lots of support and resources, Mm -hmm. when you begin to encounter failure or when you have a troll on Twitter or when you have a customer who's pissed off at the way that your team handled support, you might, you might not know how to deal with those things very well. They might land with you in a really deep place mm-hmm. where you find yourself kind of frustrated and disoriented or discombobulated by not being able to deliver on other people's expectations. Yeah, that makes sense. And I say this because when, when I talk with entrepreneurs, we're always paying attention to where, what they're bumping up against that's dysregulating them. And so the survivor may be completely immune to the negative feedback of a customer or a, somebody on Twitter. Like they just might not give a shit, right. but for them, 
the, the goal or the growth area becomes, Hey, how do I settle into relationships? How do I build those relationships with my customers or with my clients? So understanding what you're coming with helps you to know what your growth areas are and what some of your liabilities might be. Makes sense. Now you talk about liabilities and areas of, you know, of growth. You also talk about knowing yourself. Um, you talk about the spectrum as it is, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a rigid side of the spectrum and there's a chaotic side of the spectrum. Um, can you explain what that means? Yeah. So this is not my original idea, but I'm um, extending it to the entrepreneurial world, which is an understanding that when you think about a human under stress, they're going to press against that stress or respond to that stress somewhere along a spectrum. So some of us lean towards the, the chaotic end. When stress is applied, we move faster, we move bigger, we lose our keys, we make quick choices, we onboard that person, we fire that person, we stay in motion in right. chaos. Right. The other end of the spectrum is that when stress is applied, we become more and more rigid. There are more spreadsheets, there are more rules, there's more adherence to what we think we can control mm-hmm. as a response to the stress that feels out of control. So knowing where you are along that spectrum is really helpful because when stress comes, when there are, you know, things that happen in everybody's lives and in everyone's business that sort of disorients or dysregulates us, Mm -hmm. if you are someone who is edging towards chaos, again, you might have this desire or an impulse to fire that or make that choice or spend that money, or your, your tendency is to get pretty impulsive Sure. and you need to know that about yourself. So you can have that double check in place enough of a double check where you say, Oh, Hey, am I reacting this way? Because this is my attempt to alleviate stress or is this actually a good decision? I really love that. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because we all react to problems differently and, you know, knowing what kind of, you know, where you stand on this spectrum, I mean, can, can help you in advance to know that if there's going to be issues, you're going to react to it a certain way. And what can you do to sort of temper that reaction, right? And it's helpful to let the people around you know that too, right? You know, I'm married to somebody, my husband, Rob has two engineering degrees. Right. And so when he is stressed, rigid. oh my gosh, it gets real operational <laughs> there. Again, there's spreadsheets. There's like, don't do this, do this, do that. You know, this goes in this place. Like the rigidity takes place. And I tend to respond on the other end of the spectrum. So when we're both stressed, we're going in opposite directions, Got which it can create more and more problems. So again, having that language of like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. And oh, I see what's happening in me. So we need to mitigate the the fallout of us responding in different ways. And again, that applies to life partners and business partners and people on your team as well. You talk a little bit later in the book as well about dealing with haters in your head, you know, Um, because, you know, as a business owner, like we all learn that there are a lot of people that are out there that are going to have different opinions from ours that are going to be opponents of ours and really go to the extreme of of being, you know, a hater. And, you know, we all, I don't know if you're the same way, like Sherry, like with me, you know, like I can get one bad email on a day 
and it turns my whole day upside down. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and I know I'm not alone in this. It's just, it's something that gets into your head. It's just, I, I just, you know, it, it's just psychologically the way people are. So, you know, how do you filter those out? You know, and you, you talk about de-stinking your thinking, you know, <laughs> what is, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things at play here. One is that as you're identifying, our brains are much more sensitive to negative feedback. Right. And that's kind of an evolutionary throwback in the sense that we're being sensitive to something that's potentially dangerous. Right. So our brains are more sensitive to anger than they are to joy right. because anger could be problematic and, and joy is just fun from right. a, from a survival perspective. Right. So when we understand that and we realize that, yes, you could receive 15 wonderful reviews over your most recent product or your most recent launch, but then there's one that's not so, not so enthralled that you are going to overanalyze or overweigh that piece of data. So purely knowing that your brain is kind of playing tricks on you to keep you safe, I think is a really helpful starting point. And then that helps you to counterbalance the data that you're receiving in the positive with the data that you're receiving in the negative. So you, you talk about moving forward with that thinking, you know, I mean, how do you handle that kind of feedback? Is it, do you completely filter it out? Do you ignore it? Um, like, how do you do that when if somebody says something negative about you or has a complaint or, you know, an issue, um, sure. what do you personally do to just sort of put that, you know, to, I don't know, to compartmentalize that so you can continue on with your life? Yeah, I think it's important to ask a couple of questions of the feedback. So number one, as much as it might be painful to ask, is there anything valid here? Right. Right. Is there anything, even though it stings, is there anything here that I can take away as potentially useful in my own growth and the improvement of my business? Right. Secondly, it's really important to ask about the source. Who is saying this? What are their motives? Are they somebody that hates me anyway? Are they somebody that, you know, has been a good customer in the past and, you know, maybe is really trying to give me feedback that will be helpful? So I think those are two important questions. Is there anything useful and is it from a trusted source? And that gives you a sense of how much weight or time or space to give it. It, And it certainly does happen that sometimes people are just unkind and that's the you know, to quote Taylor Swift, haters are going to (laughs) hate. And that's when I think it becomes really a mental discipline to redirect our attention away from feedback that isn't helpful, is really intended to hurt us and to be very conscious about not letting it have that paralyzing consequence, but instead to keep going and to find the sort of mental fortitude to talk ourselves through you know, unhappy, unkind things. You know, it's funny. I've learned over the years, um, you know, Sherry, that, uh, you know, time also helps as well. You know, like, you know, sometimes you look at something that just gets under your skin on a specific day. And then you, 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 re, you know, you refer back to that two weeks later or three weeks later. And it seems like such ancient history or mm. what was I getting so crazy about, you know? I mean, there, there is something to be said for just taking a deep breath and, oh, yeah. and, and moving on from it, you know? Absolutely. And I, I love that point. Like 
if you're feeling like you're having a big reaction and you don't know what to do with a piece of feedback, just set it aside for a little bit. Give yourself some perspective. I feel like that's really helpful with really any big problem is when you're stuck, pause. Yes. Take a moment. Like the walk world, around the block. We live in such a, a, a time of immediate gratification. Like all problems don't have to be solved. Like at that moment, you know, there is something yeah. to be said for thinking about. I carry as much as I do technology stuff. So like this, this book, right. I've done this all my life. And like, I yeah. keep in it like notes and lists of things I got to do like today, you know? Yep. And um, I, years ago I learned like um, whenever like stuff was on my mind or bothering me or was stopping me from getting things done, um, I would make like a list, you know, like here's like the five things that like are like fucking me up today, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have that list there and I'll have a date on it. And it is unbelievable. Like sometimes I'll take this book, like this book, I started this book back in 2020. So I've like been using it for a while. Um, I'm getting near the end of it, but I'll look back at some of the, the so-called problems that I had yeah. six months ago, nine months ago. And I'm like, really, that's what was getting me, you know, upset back then. Like, you know, that's all like, it's so yeah. relevant now. You know what I mean? It's wonderful to see the passage of time in that way. And one yeah. of the techniques that I write about in the book, which is similar is tracking your highs and lows Yeah, and usually picking just the high point of your day. I usually do professional high point and personal high point. And then the low point, professional low point, personal low point, and tracking that over time and watching that data accumulate is super interesting for the same reason. Some of it, you're like, oh, this doesn't even matter anymore. I was losing sleep about it, but three months later, I just don't even care. It's not an issue. Yeah, it's, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because if you can do it from an analytical perspective, sort of disassociate yourself from the emotions and just say like, okay, this is really, you know, what, what's bugging me today, but I'm, I'm making a note of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, going back to it in time, it just, it does put things into perspective. Okay. You have a, um, a big chapter. I mean, listen, I mean, the, 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 the whole point of this book is, is helping entrepreneurs, you know, keeping their shit together and getting things done. Um, you have a whole chapter on getting things done. Okay. You, you talk about four steps for getting things done. You talk about knowing yourself, being kind, visualizing your future self and, and doing a D. Okay. So let's walk, walk us through that. Okay. What, what are these four steps? Know yourself, being kind, visualizing your future self, do a D. Um, what does all that mean? And, and yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a little different than some of the product type, productivity hacking you might hear from other <laughs> sources, isn't it? Well, I was like, keep lists, you know what I mean? Send emails, you know, on all of those things too. But I think from my experience, when we get to the root of what gets in the way of productivity, sometimes it's, it's systems and discipline, but often it's, it's a little bit more between our ears, right? It's, it's the psychology. So I think that the invitation to know yourself as it relates to productivity and focus is, is some of that uh, conversation we were having a little bit earlier about being chaotic or rigid, like understanding your trends, Right. When you have a big project coming up, are you the procrastinator? Are you the over planner? Like what's your typical default? Right. And then to be wise about asking, is that strategy helpful to me here? Or should I work toward a different strategy? Yeah. And thinking to yourself, like before you're, you're embarking on a project saying, come on, what are the kinds of things that have always annoyed me in the past? Cause that's yeah. just me, you know? So if I know that's annoyed me in the past, 
what can I do to protect myself against that for this project? Right. Yes. Makes sense. You know, we each have our things, right? I, I'm sort of a classic overcommitter. Like I, you know, I love to say yes to things. I love lots of the opportunities that are offered to me. And because I really know that about myself, I now have some systems in place to help me really double check. Do I actually have the bandwidth to say yes to this? Um, so I think that that helps to prevent that problem from happening. Got it. All right. That makes sense. All right. So knowing yourself is one step for getting things done. What about being kind? So being kind is really um, a, a piece of advice that's real directed towards the procrastinators among us. Because okay. often what happens with procrastination is this cycle of, um, I really should do this. I should do this. I should do this. And then some self-criticism of, I'm not doing this. I can't believe I'm not doing this. I just wasted the day on YouTube. Like, oh. I, what am I doing with my life? I'm not even a grown up or a good entrepreneur. And so it can spiral into more and more kind of self sabotaging behavior. And I think that a great way to just interrupt that whole pattern and that whole cycle of procrastination is to like put that pause button on again, be kind, stop with the spiral. And kind of sit down and get some work done. <laughs> but we have to move out of the self-criticism in order to just focus on the things in front of us. So you mean really, it's not like being kind, like going up and saving a cat out of a tree or helping an old lady across the street. You're, you're, you're saying like, be kind to yourself, right? In this I mean, context, I'm talking about self-kindness, but I guess if you see an old lady in the street, it's probably nice <laughs> you to help show her. up for that problem. Yeah, yeah of course. We're calling it. <laughs> but yeah, but no, I, I, I you know, it, it is, it, you, a lot of people can be very hard on themselves when they're trying to get stuff done. And, you know, when they, you know, if, if they were to appreciate um, the situation that they're in um, and that they're going through something, um, I guess it does make sense to say like, hey, you're not that bad a person. You've done a good job so far. You're going to get through this, you know, so take a deep breath. Is that? that, is that yeah. Make- and even acknowledging like this, this shit is hard. Like yes. not everybody starts a business. Not everybody is successful in a business. Not yeah. everyone can grow a business. And that's because it's really very hard. Yeah. There are lots yeah. of details. It's complicated. So I, I think kindness is kind of giving yourself credit for all that you're carrying. Okay. All right. Now that makes sense. So knowing yourself, being kind, uh, your third out of four steps is visualizing your future self. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Yeah. So this is um, really against or a, a tactic that helps to counteract that sense of right now versus the future. Okay. So when we are able to anticipate um, how our actions right now in this moment are related to the outcomes for our future self. So us three months from now, a year from now, five years from now, whatever it is, we're able to act in our own self-interest in a little bit of a better way. Right. So when we kind of do the math on what's coming in the future and how can I set my future self up? Usually that means like, buckling down and focusing, getting something done now, rather than like screwing the version of you that's coming in two months from now, who's going to be really sad that that marketing copy isn't written when it's launch time. Right. Right. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. And then your final step is do a D. Yeah. 
you might have to refresh my memory on all of these here, but one of the D's <laughs> is delegate. Got it. Okay. I don't have the book in front help. of me, but so there's a number of D's in, you know, that, that you list out and delegate is one. Um, but I guess we have to read the book to know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just leave that, leave that as the teaser. Um, delegate is one. I think uh, discipline is probably another one. Fair, um, enough. Fair enough. You talked about before we end about getting things done, though, even in the, uh, you know, in the practice of, of, of you know, self-actualizing, being kind to yourself, you know, uh, you know, you're doing a D, taking certain those, those steps. You, you did talk about sort of taking a breather as well. You told a story about Mario and his long bike rides that he takes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What do we learn from that? So this, this very specific story is in a response to an email that someone sent me that was like, I really want to just take off a couple mornings a week and go on a long bike ride. But there's this part of me that's like, you shouldn't do that. You should work like work. (laughs) It's work time at 10 AM. Right. Right. And this person had really missed, I think why most of us go into running our own businesses in the first place is that Mm -hmm. we desire the freedom to be able to structure and live our lives in the way that we want to. And obviously um, we all have lots of responsibilities when we're running a business, but the exercising the freedom and the ability to say the benefits of all this hard work is that on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock, I can go out on a two hour bike ride and it's totally fine. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of forget like, Take advantage of the advantages because the hardships are hard. So make sure you're balanced there. I have a comment for that as well. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs come from jobs. So, you know, a lot of people worked at corporations. They had to be at their desk or they had to be on the clock all the time. They had a boss they had to respond to. So it takes a while to realize that, listen, you know, you don't have to be running your business from nine to five. And in fact, the more time you can spend away from your business and it continues to run itself, frankly, the more valuable your business is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're able in the middle of the day to disappear for two hours because you want to take a long bike ride or you want to be at your, your kid's little league game or dance recital or whatever, and your business continues to do what it's doing and you're able to get away, that's actually a good thing. That actually means that you're running a business that's self-sustaining, that doesn't mm-hmm. need you there every second you know, of the day. Plus, it's just healthier to do that, right? To, right? So- I, it takes some people a few years to realize that um, the whole reason, like you just said earlier about why people go and run their own businesses, it, it's about control and about more balance in their lives. And that's what, with all the stresses um, of running a business, that is one of the major benefits of it is it gives mm-hmm. you that much control. Um, let's talk about stress. You write about acute stress and chronic stress and the Yerkes Dodson principle. Yerkes Dodson a, principle. Tell us about that. Yeah. So acute stress is stress that is happening in a finite amount of time. So okay. it's, it's, um, you know, historically, evolutionarily, it's that tiger chasing you. Uh, Maybe in our business context, it's, you know, it's the deadline that must happen today. So it's time limited and it is sort of that big push. All systems go, heart rates up, breath is fast, muscles are tense, go, go, go. 
And that's really how our bodies are designed to respond to stress. Our bodies are designed to kick it into hyperdrive for a very short period of time to achieve safety or to get a, get something done. And that's contrasted with chronic stress where our bodies physiologically are elevated for a long period of time. And by elevated, I mean, those signs of stress that increased heart rate, increased respiration, the blood flow moves from the center of our body, from our organs into our big muscle groups, into our arms and legs Mm -hmm. in order to prepare the body for that acute response. But when that happens chronically, it creates a lot of, um, you know, all of these preventable, preventable medical problems that go along with type A personality or stress. Got it. Okay. So there's acute and chronic stress. And right. what does the Yerkes Dodson, you know, has to do with all of that? Yeah. So the Yerkes Dodson principle is really looking at the relationship between stress and performance. Right. So it looks like one of these lovely bell curves that we see in statistics. Right. And it it tracks the relationship such that as stress increases, okay. performance increases to a point. And then there's the tipping point where the arc of the curve begins to go down the other way because there's so much stress that the body is essentially saturated and the brain is not able to function well. And performance begins to decline because the body is overly stressed. So, you know, the issue I have with that is that it it sounds like what you're saying is that a certain level of stress is, is probably good, particularly. Absolutely. Yep. Running a bit. That's what's us out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. I mean, that's what, what gets us out of bed in the morning, but obviously too much stress is not good. So how do we find that tipping point, that, that middle place? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. I think that's a really, um, in a way, part of what we're learning about our note when you're, you're undertaking the know thyself part of this process is to pay attention to what is too much for you. Uh So I know for me and for many of the folks that I work with Mm -hmm. too much stress leads to not being able to sleep. Mm -hmm. So if you're so stressed, you got so many things going on, your mind is going a mile a minute so much so that you're waking up at 3am and just like bling awake, can't function, can't go back to sleep. That's a sign that it's too much. Your body's not able to effectively work with that much stress. Um, other signs that the body or the mind, the system, I should say, is overstressed are our mistakes start to happen. Mm-hmm. You're moving so fast. Your brain is on so many tracks at once that things are missed. Things are forgotten. You see that chaos begin to creep in. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, t- to kind of bring it back to the beginning of our conversation, an overly stressed system is not going to perform because it gets either too chaotic or it gets too rigid. And in either direction, it's a problem. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, let's move on. Um, you give some tips about disruption, you know, about how to, cause, cause obviously all of our day is they're so crazy. There's a lot of things that comes up during a, you know, a typical entrepreneur's day. Um, and I wanted to ask you about a few of them. You talk about starting your day with five minutes of meditation. You then talk about choosing three things. Um, what do you mean by choosing three things? The three most important things for a day. Got it. Knowing that there are lots of things to do, but yeah. there are usually three that matter a lot. 
I like that. And I, you know, it's funny. So I, I don't start my day with five minutes of meditation. Maybe I should do that. The three things is something that I do um, quite frequently. I've, again, I've got this, you know, the list of stuff that needs to be done with, but I'll usually put an X in these things up by the end of today. I want to make sure I'm getting these three things done. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about resetting your to-do list. Give us some thoughts on that. I think that's about the sense of not letting the to-do list master you right? It's a live and interactive document. So there might be a lot of things on it, but you are always actively deciding what is most important. Right. Makes sense. Um, Be willing to shift your strategy, obviously. So we should be flexible and being kind to yourself, which kind of there it is again. There it is again. And it's, I, I love the point of being kind to yourself because you're right. I mean, we really do walk around with the burdens of the world on our shoulders. We're taking things a little too tough. Uh, because we, we really are chief cook and bottle washer. And you're right. Um, I think a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, not like we're looking for any type of sympathy um, or we're whining or complaining, but we should be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say like, hey, listen, you know, it's not easy what we're doing. If, yeah. if it was, a lot of other people would be doing this. So, you know, you're going to make your mistakes or fall behind. It's okay. The world will continue to turn, right? And again, this is written for business owners, for entrepreneurs. And some folk in the world need a little bit of like a kick in the pants, like maybe stop being so kind and get up and get work done. But that's not my audience, right? Right. The the small business owners, the entrepreneurs that I work with, you know, almost to a person are going to overwork, overstress, apply too much pressure, overcommit. Like, so my, my admonition in this area is really as a counterbalance. Hmm. You strive, you push, you're hustling. Let's just bring it down a little bit, bring a little more kindness into that mind. It's so different when you're an employee somewhere and you know that, you know, at the end of the day, you can kind of wash your hands and just go home and think about other things. Whereas if you run your own business, um, that's not the case at all. You are, you know, things are on your mind 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, So it is important to kind of take that break. All right. Um, you talk as well, Sherry, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. This is so great. Just great advice for, for me personally, as well as our, our, our viewers and our listeners. But um, we, let's talk about burnout um, a little bit when things aren't getting done. Um, give me some of your thoughts on how you know, an entrepreneur or business owner can avoid burnout. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand what causes burnout. Mm-hmm. And people think about burnout as just having too many things to do. And it's actually a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are three components of burnout. The first is emotional and physical exhaustion. So that's the one that most of us think of. The second is a sense of cynicism and detachment. Mm -hmm. So this is where our relationships begin to break down. We begin to kind of make fun of our customers or feel real snarky towards our coworkers or the people on our team. Okay. And the last component of burnout is um, a sense of lost personal efficacy. So a a way of thinking about that is that we're only seeing ourselves and our work through a negative filter. Mm. So anything that we're doing automatically in this filter is seen as not very good, Mm. not working, not moving the ball forward. So burnout is really caused by... um, a big gap between how we spend our time and effort and what is meaningful and important to us. 
So that is one of these things that I think is really important for entrepreneurs to understand, especially because most of us wear lots of hats within our business. And so to know that if we are, you know, a designer at heart, if we're a creative, but we're spending a ton of time filling out tax documents and working on sort of payroll forms, that's not going to be sustainable for the long period because we're not we're not close enough to our why to be fueling what really matters to us. So how do we avoid this? I mean, uh, I guess it's recognizing it and then saying, Hey, listen, I'm doing too much of the stuff that I don't want to do that Mm -hmm. aren't part of my mission. That's not really what, even what I'm best at. Um, And you give the example of, you know, if you're doing too much administrative stuff and you're maybe more of a creative type, Um, the way that you avoid burnout is by recognizing that and saying, I need to get help and have somebody, somebody do that administrative stuff. So I can focus on what I do best because that's what I enjoy the most. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. And a a key piece of the thing that you just mentioned there is another way to avoid burnout is to make sure that you have appropriate support. So when we are in isolation, uh, as many small business owners are, we are really vulnerable to burnout. So making sure that we are prioritizing relationships, personal and professional relationships is a way to help prevent burnout. Um, Another strategy is, is to play, you know, to have other parts of our life outside of the business that really get some time and dedicated attention. And I know that's hard to do when people are so busy and working really hard to make their businesses thrive, Mm -hmm. but having a hobby that, um, you really give yourself to Mm -hmm. helps to prevent burnout because it helps to diversify the neurological circuits in our brain that Mm -hmm. we're using. Mm -hmm. So not to belabor the point, but one of the the ways that I'm really understanding burnout these days is as a repetitive strain injury, Mm -hmm. it's using the same sort of brain parts over and over and over. And if we don't kind of counterbalance that or train some other brain areas, um, we, we risk really causing damage on a neurological level. Um, yeah. and you know, we can see burnout in a brain scan. It's something that's happening to our, the organ of our brain. Yeah. It's funny. I just years and years ago, I remember listening to Tony Robbins, actually one of his, you know, series of cassette tapes just to date myself. And, um, you know, his big thing was about changing your state. You know, if you feel mm-hmm. like you're burning out, if you feel like you're really running low, um, you got to switch it up you know, you get in a rut. And, um, and I remember taking that advice, like I would have, you know, days where things feel like, you know, like things were going shitty. Um, and I would just break and go to the batting cages or hit some golf oh, balls. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and like two hours later I would come back and be like, wait, so what was the issue in my mind then? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it really clears your head. Um, I think it's just important for, for other business owners to know that it, it's okay to just get out of the office and do mm-hmm. something else for a while. Sherry, as we wrap things up, you know, and, and we're, we're near actually like the end of your book as well. You talk about things called like startup dis- attachment disorder and business attachment disorder, staying connected to a business after you've sort of separated from it. Um, but what I'm more interested in is, is about quitting your business. Mm. Um, how do you know when it's time to quit? You know, and this gets back to the whole burnout thing, but, you know, how do you know? This, I've just outlined this as a next book, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about it. It is a really nuanced decision because yeah. you, it is a decision that you want to make in a multi-system way. Yeah. 
Um, Sometimes people just get burned out and tired and frustrated. And they're like, I want to be done with this. And generally that's not a great state in which to make a big dollar decision. Right. Um, And then sometimes people totally ignore their emotional reality and just think about the dollars and cents and sign themselves up for a duration and an intensity of work that, that they really can't deliver on. Hmm. So I think taking stock of these different domains, what hmm. are my, what are, what are my energy resources? What are the financial resources? And there's a sense in which um, it's a pretty like, nuanced decision to understand when it's time to go. I mean, is there, is there any other like indications that you know, do, is people telling you that it's time? Is it, you know, do financial considerations weave into this as well? Like I am not making money at this business. Um, clearly something is wrong. Um, or is it just a mental state issue? You know, you, There's a lot of different reasons that people leave too, right? Sometimes it's because a business is not doing well. And sometimes the business is thriving and growing and people should probably leave because it's outgrown their leadership okay. ability. Right. So that's where there are lots of ways to slice it. It makes it a little bit hard to make a nice, like neat framework, um, which is why I'm going to write a whole book about it. <laughs> I'm, glad it. I'm looking forward to it. Sherry Walling is the author of the entrepreneur's guide to keeping your shit together, how to run your business without letting it run. Uh, you can find her at sherrywalling.com. Sherry, great advice, great book on keeping your shit together. And you know, it's very evergreen in the sense that sometimes I talk to authors where, um, you know, a few years later, you know, the content of the book may not be as relevant, but uh, your book, you know, will be relevant 20 years from now, you know, let alone just a couple of years from now, because it's the same, it's the issues that we're all facing, um, regardless of the size of the business that we're running. So um, highly recommend to people to read it. It's a really, really great read. And I enjoyed it myself being a business owner. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to talk about it with you. A lot of fun. Thanks everyone for watching and listening to this episode of Biz Books. I hope you enjoyed it very much. My name is Gene Marks. We will be back again shortly. We do this every other week with another great business author talking about their great business book. We will see you again soon. Take care.